a friend. Uh, I have been praying for him for months. His wife, um, I don't know if she was having an affair, what the, the level of cheating was, but uh, I have been in prayer with this friend and uh, for months and months, and he texted me this week and said his wife has agreed to go to counseling. Praise God. I mean, and th that is just a, a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, I need to, to wheel some props over just a little, but I want you to start thinking about this. What steals your joy? What bursts your bubble? What takes it away from you? Is there anything that jumped to your mind or maybe not? But I, I want you to, to be thinking about that. What bursts your bubble? Running late to work? Stubbing your toe? Co-work in a snarky mood? Burst your bubble, doesn't it? Well, how about running out of money before running out of month? Been there, done that? How about debt? How about irritating spouses? Don't say anything, Tammy. Not getting your way? Demanding bosses? Lazy co-workers? Pops your bubble, doesn't it? Can. It can pop your bubble. You're going to get tired of this, aren't you? Clothes too tight, put on a little weight, chronic pain, disobedient children, debt. Bubble gets popped. Suddenly, somebody, someone, something is stealing your joy. Loss of a friendship, loss of a loved one, not being valued or liked or accepted. Mean people, are there any mean people in this world? They burst your bubble, frustrating circumstances, anxious thoughts. Burst your bubble, doesn't it? And you can say, yeah, it does. Physically, the bursting point of a bubble or a balloon is how thin or thick the balloon is, right? You, you get that. If it's really thin, it pops really easily. And maybe how sharp the pin is, too. But what about spiritually? What about spiritually? At what point does your joy burst and you give in to bitterness, stinking thinking, emotional outbursts, critical spirit, anxiety, even anger. When do you reach that point as you're walking out your life with Christ that suddenly someone, something, the world, Satan, your own flesh, burst your bubble and suddenly you don't have joy? And the Bible says that you are to have joy because joy isn't dependent on happenings. It's dependent on who? Your relationship with God your relationship with Jesus. We should always be filled with joy no matter what our circumstances are. We've been talking about that over the last few weeks. But another way of asking this or saying this is this. Your spiritual maturity or immaturity, your level of spiritual depth, and I have a slide for you. At whatever point your joy bubble burst, that's the measurement or level of your spiritual maturity. Ouch, Rob, that hurt. That's why you got that right. If you're going around bitter in a complaining, critical spirit, if your joy is always being stolen, that's because you're probably spiritually immature. Ouch, again, that hurt. But there's some good news because Paul today is going is to share 
with us. So I, I just, let me read that again. At whatever point your joy bubble bursts, that's the measurement or level of your spiritual maturity, your spiritual depth, your spirit, how well you're allowing the Spirit to flow through your life. You, you can see it anywhere, actually, even in the non-spiritual realm, like with a child. If a child can't have their favorite sippy cup, and they're okay with it? We're like, yeah. But if they throw a fit, we go, oh, they're immature. See, immaturity moving to maturity. Or how about a teenager? A teenager comes home and says, Dad, I'd like to stay and go to the football game on Friday night. Can I borrow the car? And you already have plans for the car. You're, you only have one car in the house. And so you say, son, I'm sorry, you cannot borrow the car. Does the teenager get moody? Or does the, mo the teenager say, I'm okay with that, Dad. I understand. See, immaturity or maturity. Or how about if an adult tries to use an expired coupon and is denied, do they throw a fit at the customer service counter with Tammy... Or do they just accept it? Again, immaturity to maturity. So at what point does your joy bubble burst? Is it like this? Because uh, some people don't even have the maturity or the strength And that's what it takes to blow their day. One little thing can blow their entire day. Their entire day can be destroyed because you didn't get to work on time. Or somebody cut you off. Or somebody did something that was so petty. And ins but the thing is, is your spiritual maturity to the point that the slightest touch burst your bubble. Or is it something a little deeper? Is it something where, yeah, it takes a lot to get under my skin, but eventually, at the end of the day, this is what happens. You come home snarky. And of all the people that you should be loving to is your family. But you have had your bubble burst, haven't you? Or maybe your spiritual depth, your maturity is like this. You can get poked all day long, but no one's going to steal your joy. No one's going to burst your bubble. No one can take the joy that you have in Christ away from you because you're not focused on that. I mean, the things of the world, you're focused on my relationship. Now, Paul's going to say some really cool things for us today. But I want you to get this. I'm going to say it again. The strength of your joy isn't measured when everything is going well. The strength of your joy is when everything is not going well. Are you with me on that? Do, you under, do we get that? We don't test a rope when we only have to pull one pound. We test a rope when we have to pull a thousand pounds. So a sunshine Christian, and there are a few of them, a sunshine Christian is a follower of Jesus when everything is going great. But when the things are not going great, you can't find them. They just disappear. Don't go to church. 
don't go stay, they're not fellow, they just disappear. Why? Because their bubble has burst and they don't know what to do with it. They just don't know what to do with it. At whatever point your bubble or your balloon burst is a reflection of your spiritual strength, your spiritual wisdom, your spiritual maturity. And I'm not saying this to discourage you, I'm actually telling you to encourage you. Because we live in a crazy time. Things are moving faster than ever before. Communication, social media, people are easily offended. Political groupthink correctness has overtaken our society, our culture. And when things change quickly, apple carts get turned over. I don't, do you ever play that game, upset the apple cart? Okay, one person, my wife and I, you know. That's okay, that's okay. Things that shouldn't bother us suddenly do. It's the proverbial straw that breaks the camel's back. You know that. You, know, you can load up the, the camel, you can load up the camel, you can load up the camel, and it's that last one-ounce piece of straw that goes on his back that breaks it. Now, really, did it? It was a culmination of everything else that that weight he was carrying. And it's in these times of hardship, confusion, personal conflicts, crushed expectation, dashed dreams that your spiritual maturity begins to grow and get strong. Doesn't it say in James chapter 1, count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith is producing what? steadfastness or endurance and let it have its perfect result that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing and so when we get our balloon or our bubble burst we have to take a look and say okay i didn't handle that right i need to handle it differently and paul lived this he knew this he, he said in corinthians this Afflicted in every way but not crushed. Perplexed but not driven to despair. Persecuted but not forsaken. Struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying around the body of Jesus in him so that Jesus may live through him. Paul's going to share today in Philippians how to grow spiritually, how to mature, how to have joy in spite of trouble or troublemakers. So you have your Bibles turned to Philippians chapter 1, we're going to pick it up at verse 12. Verse 12 and 13. He begins this way. I'm reading out of the ESV. He says, I want you to know, <clears throat> excuse me, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for who? For Christ, for Jesus. Let's, let's give a little background before we kind of dissect this, this little phrase here. First of all, Paul's a prisoner in Rome. He was a prisoner for two years earlier in Caesarea, if you remember right. He has desired to go to Rome. He has been wanting to go to Rome in many of his letters. He says, I can't wait to go to Rome, can't wait to go to Rome. Why? Because it was the capital of the world. There were millions of people there. He wanted to bring Jesus to a pagan city called Rome. He couldn't wait to get there, but he's in jail. He's in prison. And after two years, 
years. He appeals to Caesar, and off he goes to Caesar. Now, it's Nero. You know the guy that burnt down half of Rome because he wanted to build his palace in that place, but then he blamed the Christians. Hasn't happened yet, but he appeals to Nero. He goes to Nero, and Nero just puts him under house arrest. Now, they didn't have a little bracelet, you know, where you could only go so far to the property line. No, the way house arrest was, first of all, you had to rent your own quarters. If you didn't have money, you were back in the prison. But if you had some money, if people were supporting you and people were trying to do what you were wanting to do accomplish-wise, he got some money, he rented his own quarters, but he is chained to a Roman soldier at his wrist for 24-7. And every six hours, they changed the guard. Now, this isn't a long rope. This is a short rope. The word actually in, in the original language means it's, it's about 18 inches long. So he is 24-7 chained to a Roman soldier. Now, this isn't your typical Roman soldier. Since this was, did you check, did you see in the text? Go back to the text, you'll find it right there. It says, verse 13, it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard. Some of yours will say the palace. This is the elite Roman garrison. It is the cream of the crop. Think of CIA protecting people. Think of FBI. These guys are not the guys that are down in the street. They're fighting wars. This is the cream of the crop. And it was an honor to be a guard. Sometimes we look down on our military, don't we? Yes, we do. We do. As a culture, sometimes we look down on our military. We shouldn't, but the military at this time was highly esteemed. In fact, when you got out of your military service, you were given money, you were given prestige, you were given a good job, and you became a senator or a leader of the Roman Empire. That's how they rewarded your service. So these guys aren't just your average run-of-the-mill Roman soldiers. They're the elite of the elite. And their job is in Caesar's palace. They're the imperial guard, so to speak. Eating, sleeping, bathing, bathroom duties for both people. And it wasn't the same four guys. Every day... He was chained to a Roman soldier. Now, get this. How would you like to be chained next to, to Paul for six hours? You think he's going to influence your life? You think he's not going to tell you? Now, let's talk about a little bit of, of our, our troublemakers that Paul's going to tell us about. And I don't know if you've ever had a troublemaker in your life, somebody that's kicked you while you're down. Have you ever been kicked while you're down? Yeah, Paul's troublemakers are maligning him with this bad theology. And this is the bad theology. Bad things happen to bad people. You're in prison, therefore you're bad. Do you see how the logic is? So if you're a bad person, then you're going to be in prison and they're going to malign you. They're going to gossip about you. They're going to tear your name down. Now, Paul, though has joy in spite of his trouble and in spite of his troublemakers. 
Now, here's the very first slide, the very first fill in the blank. Because he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Because of my trouble, the gospel is reaching places that are unbelievable. These four guys, each and every day, had no choice but to listen to Paul. Now, I want you to realize that in Acts chapter 28, it tells us, I'll just read it to you, that first of all, he gathered the Jews, and he said, I'm here to tell you about Jesus. And after a while, they said, great. And some of them said, no way. And Paul said, now I'm going to turn to the Gentiles. Now, he's saying all this while attached to a Gentile. And it goes on, Acts says, the very last verses of Acts, it says, he lived there two whole years at his own expense, welcoming all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with boldness and without hindrance. Paul says, guess what happened? Because of my imprisonment. The gospel right now is being shared in the royal palace. If Paul had come on his own just as a Somebody that just was one out of millions of people, what do you think his impact was going to be on Rome in a short amount of time? Maybe not a whole lot. But he comes as a prisoner and God gives him the biggest microphone there is. Chained to Roman elite soldiers, handcuffed 18 inches apart. They get to see his grace. They get to see his mercy. They get to see his prayer life. They get to hear him speak with passion about Jesus, and they become Christians. How do we know that? Because later on in Philippians, in fact, you could turn there right now. It's Philippians chapter 22, I mean, verse 22, in final greetings. Very end of the book, he says, Greet every saint in the Christ Jesus, and the brothers with me greet you. And the saints greet you, especially those of what? What does the text say? Caesar's household. Could you imagine? Paul comes as a prisoner. He expected to go there and just have a great time, meet some people, Great. No, God had another plan for him. He went as a prisoner. He gave him a microphone called four Roman soldiers, every one different, and suddenly the entire household of Nero is becoming Christians. That, that's, that's not a human thing, is it? That is amazing. Amazing. And then it said... And all, go back to the text. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest. The whole city. Because these people were of influence and power and trendsetters and people of, of, of distinction, pretty soon the whole town knows about Paul. And this word, go back and it says, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. It was a nautical term. It means that you made forward movement even though you had blow after blow after blow against the hull of your ship. It means to advance even though there are obstacles. He says we are advancing. And he is filled with joy because of it. 
You couldn't have humanly planned for all of Rome to hear the gospel any better or faster. Paul had come wanting, expecting, uh, uh, his expectation was to come as a free man. God said, no, changing that plan. You're going to go as a prisoner, but it's going to be better. So what's the next fill in the blank? Because of my trouble, the gospel is reaching places that are unbelievable. Here it is. Changed expectations. Changed expectations. When you and I don't cling to our expectations and allow God to shift them, move them, change them, it can fill us with joy with our new plan. If your expectations are up here, and life brings it down here, what do you get? Your bubble burst. Oh, I thought I was going to go to college and make a lot of money. No, that's not how God was going to use your life. Well, I thought I was going to marry this guy and he was going to be perfect and we were going to have a story, but no, that's not how it worked out. Well, I expected that, you know, I, no. see how expectations can change and pop your joy. But when we hold on to our expectations loosely and allow God to move them and shift them and say, okay, God, this is your plan. I'm going to roll with it. How many of you have ever had to say that? This isn't exactly the way I thought it was going to go, but God, you're in charge. I'm going to roll with it. Whether you're the toddler who doesn't get the cup, the teenager who doesn't get the car, or the adult that doesn't get his coupon, do you say, it's okay, my expectation was this, it's not coming true, I'm going to roll with it. God changes our expectations when we allow Him to move us to do greater things that we ever could imagine or think of. Well, I expected things to go my way, but they didn't. I guess God had a better plan. So I'll roll with it. Can you say that? God had a better plan than me. Say that with me. God had a better plan than me. Should we be in the upset then? No. We might, and we do plan. We have to have expectations in life, right? Expectations aren't wrong. It's when we have our expectations that are not met where we get our bubble burst. Paul's not like that. He's like, I came, I wanted to come here as a free man. I came here as a prisoner. That I was not expecting. But guess what? God did something more awesome than I could ever think of. So here's the next slide. Spiritual maturity. I'm sorry, we're, we do have a new TV. We just uh, haven't got it up yet, but let me read it to you. Spiritual maturity. Allowing flexibility in your expectations to give God room to shift them to work His will in your life. That's a fancy way of saying, I'm going to let God handle it. Yeah, I have expectations, but... When my expectations aren't met, I'm not going to throw a fit. I'm not going to let somebody burst my bubble because I'm going to let God do what He's going to do. Isn't that right? That's spiritual maturity. That's spiritual maturity. You either hold on to your expectations like this or like this. Can I advise you hold on to them like this? And not like this. You know what happens to a rope that's pulled through your hand when you're hanging on to it tight? Ever have a rope burn? Oh yeah, you've had a rope burn before. And if you haven't, don't. When, 
we hold on to our expectations and suddenly they're ripped out of our hands, is that going to steal your joy? Or are we going to say, God, I've got some expectations, but I'm going to hold them loosely. I'm going to hold them loosely. Now, let's go back to the text. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Verse 14, and most of the brothers, he almost could have probably said all of the brothers, but he said most of, which means the majority of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So here's the fill in the blank. Because of my trouble, guess what? Something good has come of it. Others are greatly encouraged. Others are greatly encouraged. You know, it, it's, it's hard being the minority in society, morally speaking, spiritually speaking, to stand up to, 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 to say, yeah, I believe a person, a woman, a girl should keep her virginity until she gets married. I believe that. Boy, that flies in the face of our society today. You're ridiculed, you're laughed at, you're called prudish, you're called old-fashioned. To stand up against abortion, you're labeled a racist against women. To say you believe in traditional marriage, one man, one woman, you're called a homophobe. To say homosexuality is biblically wrong, you're called a hater, a backwood, stupid ignoramus. To say gender is God given at birth, you're, you're mean-spirited, you're bigoted, you're prejudiced. And you can see why the few Christians in Rome, when Paul got there, were timid. But suddenly they see Paul, and he's chained to a Roman soldier, and he is bold and fearless, and says, I don't care what they do to me, this is the truth. You know what happened to the other brothers? Man, they got, they got some courage. They got bold. They said, man, if Paul can do that in his circumstances, I can surely mention Jesus at work. If Paul can endure basically being chained 24-7, I can endure a little hardship too. Do you see how it emboldened them? That is so awesome. Because of my, uh, my trouble, others are greatly encouraged. So here's the next part of that slide. Changed outcomes. It's a little bit like expectations, but expectations are in your head and in your heart, but outcomes are physical. That's why I wanted to delineate between the two. He said, man, I didn't expect this outcome. But it's beautiful. It's wonderful. These guys are now encouraged. They're pumped up. They can't wait to go out and be the voice that they need to be. Changed outcome fills me with joy. When you and I don't have our joy stolen from us, when you and I don't have our bubbles burst, instead of feeling sorry for ourselves or someone else, we're actually encouraged and embolden. Let me give you an example. Let's pretend that there's someone in our midst who is a veteran of a war 
and he's an amputee and he he has no legs and he has to spend his life in a wheelchair and we can see him now if this person is timid quiet feels sorry for himself maybe goes towards drinking or maybe tries to to just eke out an existence and fade into the background loses his wife loses his children because he's emotionally shut down you know what we do we feel sorry for him right don't we man that guy went to war that guy became a double amputee man he lost his family he lost his life he lost his life how is he going to make a living he's going to be you know you just feel sorry for him but you take the same guy who will not give up and he rolls in and he's got prosthetics and he's walking and he looks you in the eye and shakes your hand and he is proud of what he's done and he is not going to let the loss of two legs slow him down. What does that do to you? Do you still feel sorry for him or do you go, wow, that guy encourages me. That guy, can you believe that he lost both his legs and he is on top of the world, doing everything he's wanted to. Do you see the difference? So when Paul has a different outcome, instead of going, poor me, poor me, poor me, the people around him are encouraged, and it's a totally different outcome because he's not saying, poor me, poor me. He is with boldness, and it inspires these guys to have a different outcome, outcome that fills him with joy produces a different outcome that we think is going to happen. Remember the TV show, The Biggest Loser? How many of you remember The Biggest Loser? Okay, when when that show came on the air, I told Tammy, that is the most stupid name of a TV show. Who wants to be the biggest loser? What a loser, that they want to be the biggest loser. But I watched the show, (laughs) and so did millions of other Americans. And that show showed people that were grossly overweight by hundreds and hundreds of pounds lose the weight, and guess what it did to everybody that was watching? Different outcome than I thought. What was the outcome? It encouraged them to take control of their own weight issues. It encouraged them. Had a different outcome than I thought. Paul was filled with joy knowing he was encouraging others to be bold, speaking the word. Now here's the spiritual maturity part of it. Spiritual maturity, allowing God to use your troubled circumstances to bring a different outcome. And you can put for others as well. You thought what was happening to you was really tragic, but God was going to turn around and use it for His glory to encourage somebody else. You guys encourage me by the way you live your lives for Christ. And so you might not know that, man, when you know, Mitch and Victoria go through a tough time, they encouraged me, the outcome. Sharon, you're going through something, it encourages me. Heather, you're going through something, it encourages me. You're not even aware that your outcome is encouraging me. But it gives me boldness to place my faith in the one who will never let me down. Amen? 
So let's go back to the text. We have to finish up. Some indeed, verse 15, preach Jesus or Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. I'm going to kick him while he's down. What then, verse 18, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in subject uh, or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and then in that I rejoice. Here's the next fill in the blank. Because my troublemakers, because of my troublemakers, Christ is being proclaimed. It's tough and it's painful when others run you down and build to build themselves up. Happened to Jesus, happened to Paul, and it will happen to you. Live a godly life and you will be the target of someone. It's tough when people don't like you. That, isn't that true? It's tough when people don't like you, gossip about you, malign you, hate you, slander you. Now, in the context of Paul's situation, this was about his ministry, and people were either against it or for it. It's kind of like cliques and denominations. Well, he's a Baptist. Well, he's a Methodist. Well, he's a Lutheran. Well, he's the Assembly of God. And, and they try to one-up if they're of spiritual immaturity where it said out of envy and jealousy that they preach the gospel. But Paul was still filled with joy because Jesus was being proclaimed. Now there's a principle here, and it's a powerful one. And in our context, when you lead a godly life, you carry around the fragrance of Jesus on you. And to some, you're going to go, I don't know why I'm attracted to you, but I like you. And not in an in, in emotional way, but when you're around godly people, it, there's a fragrance that you emit that's all about Jesus. To those that are perishing, Paul says in Corinthians, you're the stench of death. So sometimes when you're working with a coworker and they're like, Aah! like, whoa, all I'm being is kind and loving. Why are you persecuting me? Or others are like, man, you have such a gentle spirit about you. Why are you like that? Do you see the difference? You, you carry around the fragrance of Jesus on you, and it's either going to spark a sweet smell or it's going to spark a, st a stench. And because of my troublemakers... Christ is being proclaimed. So, so here, here's the context. You're, you will be persecuted. But God's going to give you a changed perspective. Paul says, you know, I don't care. I don't care if the people that hate me at work hate me because I'm a Christian. I'm okay with that. I don't want them to hate me because I'm a jerk. That's different. That's a whole other ball of wax. But I'm going to be okay because somehow God is going to use that. That's the perspective that he comes with. When people dislike you and gossip about you and slander you, suddenly a changed perspective fills you with joy. Paul's perspective wasn't personal. His perspective wasn't on himself and how he was treated. His perspective was on Jesus, that Jesus was being proclaimed. So here's the next slide, spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity, allowing God to give you a different perspective, His, and not to take things personally. 
How many of you take things personally? Yeah. Don't. Change your perspective. Change your perspective. And then God can use you. Don't take things personal. And spiritual maturity is when God, when you allow God to give you that, that different perspective and not to take things personally. And you know what the, the, the stand-up verse for this is? Romans 8.28. I hope you know it. I hope it's embedded in your brain. God causes all things to work together for what? For good. For those that love Him are called according to His purpose. And that's the perspective we need. That... That's the, that doesn't mean you have to like being gossiped about. That doesn't mean you like being thrown under a bus. You don't like eating uh, all their junk. It just means take a different perspective. Take a different perspective. Changing our perspective off of ourselves makes a huge difference if our joy bubble is going to burst or not. If we train our heart to see the situation like God sees it, we're going to have peace and joy. We trust that God will work it all out. So whether you're disliked, hated, gossiped about, ridiculed, devalued, stolen from, sinned against, God is going to work it all out for good. That's that perspective. So we're going to recap because I'm late. What bursts your bubble? Your spiritual maturity determines when or if your bubble is going to burst. And Paul gave three things to grow our maturity. And here's the slide. I'll have to read it because it's spiritual maturity. Let God shift your expectations. Hold them loosely. Let God shift your expectations. If you finally find yourself in a different situation than you thought you were going to be in, roll with it. Let God shift your expectation. Let God change your outcome. Let God do it. And then let God, or let God see his perspective. In other words, let you see God's perspective. That that's a, not, doesn't make sense that way. See his perspective. That is what Paul did, and he was filled with joy. Now, I'm going to end with a silly balloon. And then we're going to have communion. How many of you, when you were a kid did this if I can find it oh here they are you know what I'm going to do here's your spiritual balloon I'm going to dip this in what am I doing you guys remember what this was called paper mache for all of you out there when I let God change my expectations, this is what happens to my bubble. When I let God give me a different outcome than I thought it was going to be, and I, I'm okay with it, I'm okay with it. Guess what starts happening to your balloon? It's getting stronger, isn't it? I'm going to change my perspective from today and I'm going to let God give me his perspective of today. Boy, this is a mess. <laughs> but sometimes spiritual maturity is a mess. 
do you see that when I let God direct my life, I grow spiritually. I grow with maturity. And no one can steal my joy. Debt can't steal my joy. Broken relationships can't steal my joy. All the nasties of this world cannot stand, steal my joy because my joy is from Him, not on here. And when I have His perspective, His expectations, His outcomes, I get happy. I hate to use that word because we've been talking negatively about it. I get more than happy. I am filled with joy. I want you to be filled with joy. But the only way you can do that is through spiritual maturity. Give everything over to God. Your expectations, your outcome, and your perspective. And you will be the most joyful person in the world. Let me pray. Father.